It's Halloween, and younger listeners may find this episode a little disturbing. A suitably gruesome episode for you. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what we did last year for Halloween? E numbers. Exactly. And in what way they? What were they? We did it in like a witch's um, brew. That's right. Yeah, it's kind of like the E numbers that you have in your sweets because they're made out of all sorts of funny things, aren't they? Mm-hmm. And it's like and a witch's spell. Yeah, and all of them were real, weren't they? Yes, exactly. But... Anal glands. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Beaver anal glands. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but this year I thought we'd take it up a notch, okay? Okay. And we're going for something even more disgusting. So I hope you're hungry. Yep. <laughs> Good. Now, are you suffering from any ailments or problems or aches or pains, anything, anywhere? Mm, not really. Are you feeling slightly mad or crazy or delirious? No. Not to worry, because we'll fix it anyway. <laughs> okay. The acoustics are a little bit different this episode, because where are we recording? In the kitchen. Yeah, but it's actually turned it into my medical lab. <laughs> yeah. Because I've made many cures and remedies for you out of human flesh. <laughs> Are you ready? Uh, okay. <laughs> You're on holiday, aren't you? You're on half term. So I yeah. thought I'll let you off doing too much research this episode and make all these treats for you. Um, so I've looked back in time and rediscovered the forgotten, the forbidden practice of human medicine. I've been digging up corpses and trading with shady figures in even shadier alleyways and risking my own life and limb to bring you other people's lives and limb. <laughs> so what do we have here? We've got a bit of brain. Okay. Is this some human flesh? Ooh, yum, yum, yum. We've also got eyeballs. Bits of bone. I don't know, but those are gallstones or something. We've got a skull, haven't we? Yeah. So are you still hungry? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the history of medical cannibalism is back a very long time, and many cultures have attached special properties to consuming the body or its secretions. Blood, brains, skin, flesh, fat, sweat, hair, bones, and more. They've all featured in different remedies at different times for everything from epilepsy to baldness (laughs) to prolonging life or curing gout. So what should we start with? Let's start with the skull. Now I've got a picture for you here. This is from 1633 and it's of skull moss. And what this was was when there was a dead body or or rather a skull, uh, maybe in a crypt or somewhere, moss would grow on it. And what they would think is that the moss that was growing on it would actually kind of be infused by the power and the essence of the skull. Yeah. Um, so it would be ground down into a powder. Mm-hmm. And they believed that it might actually treat the likes of epilepsy. Yeah. And this actually comes from a brilliantly named book called... Mummies, Cannibals and Vampires. The History of Corpse Medicine from the Renaissance to the Victorians. They'd also use it to treat nosebleeds. So again, you get some of the powder, and if you had a nosebleed, this you'd stick it up your nose, 
And this actually works. That one sounds like it works. Yeah, because it would, the um, powder would all get stuck together and it would block your nose. <laughs> yeah, and it encouraged your blood to clot mm-hmm. as well, so it yeah. stopped the nosebleed. I've actually got a piece of human skull here. So can you just open up the pot, please? Okay. And I want you to put that in a piece of mortar with some chocolate or some cocoa powder, which is here. Um, no, that's probably enough. Opened it. <laughs> oh, that smells yummy. <laughs> okay, that should be fine. So if you grind that up now, right. um, there's a 17th century scientist called Thomas Willis, and he used the combination of crushed skull and cocoa powder as a cure for bleeding. So keep crushing the pestle and mortar. That's good, you're really cracking that bone there. Now we're going to have to also add a tiny bit of special alcohol, like so. Now keep mixing. How's it looking? <laughs> yeah, it looks good so far. Okay, I think that will probably do. So you've now made a nice mixture of chocolate and skull. Now we need to taste them and see what they're like. Do you want to go first or shall I? Mm. For some reason it tastes like chocolate nuts. Chocolate and nuts. Yeah, it's quite nutty. I guess that's maybe the aging process of the skull or where it was left. Or perhaps the owner of the skull um, had a very not heavy diet. <laughs> What we've just eaten should help cure us of any bleeding. So if you were bleeding internally, it's now stopped. That's a good thing. Okay, it doesn't taste very nice now. Ugh. There's your drink. Not the yellow one. That's for later. <laughs> I got blended brain as my drink. One of the foundational works of Chinese medicine is Li Shenu's 1597, The Kenu Gangmu, which is a book that covers all sorts of Chinese medicine. Right at the end of it, on chapter 52, the last one in the book. It's all about human medicine. Here's a list of a few of the subsections within that. So, human hair, cut off head, human hair collected from, from a comb, earwax, knee dirt, teeth, poo, baby poo, flesh, tears, bones. I didn't actually look what tears were for, but I think maybe that could be something sad. <laughs> Or maybe they're tears of joy. Maybe it varies, actually. Yeah. He would have written that in his book, surely, if it's like hair from comb and the hair cut off. The section on bones includes skulls. And I couldn't actually find the exact use if they kind of consumed any skull, okay? If they ate any or did anything with it. Yeah. Uh, But according to Lucian Hen's um, writings, at the very top of the skull, there's part of it called the bregma. Yeah. And this is where the different parts of your skull kind of fuse together. Yeah. It was believed that this point on the head is really, really important, okay? And he says, The skull of a human looks like a round cover, shaped like the sky. It is the palace of Niwa. Now, Niwa means Nirvana, okay? So mm-hmm. like paradise. And he adds, It is a place where ancestral wisdom is stored. Thermist alchemists stimulate the lay, which is fire, and the can, which is water, so as to restore its condition of pure Quan or yang. Now there's a practice of drilling holes into the head, okay, to um, kind of allow, I think, the kind of passage of the energies. 
and it's actually still practiced today in some parts of Taiwan. Mm-hmm. Obviously, particularly say in the 1500s, just think what a risk and dangerous procedure that must have been. Yeah. Do you imagine having that done to you? No. Anyway, back to Europe. I've actually spent the last of our money on King's Drops. Now, do you know what King's Drops are? King Plops. <laughs> Not King's Plops, no. King... I don't know. <laughs> King's Block. <laughs> <laughs> Plopism. <laughs> yeah. King's Drops are a mixture of human skull and alcohol. And it said that King Charles II, he actually paid over £6,000 for a recipe. Mm-hmm. Because he was having uh, funny turns. So he wanted a med- um, medicine, obviously. <laughs> it's called a tincture. <laughs> what, what's so funny about that? It's called a tincture. <laughs> okay. okay. And it was believed that this could cure gout and dropsy and all fevers, putrid and pestilential, <laughs> which isn't a word we really use anymore. Charles II, he suffered from seizures in um, 1685. So he took King's Drops or Spiritus Skull daily. And shockingly, they didn't actually seem to cure him. Or no. To work. No. I know. Wow. Being king, Charles could easily afford to have his own lab set up, just like we've got set up in the kitchen now. Mm-hmm. So he would have a ready supply of um, King's Drops available for him. And then he set up his lab in the palace at Whitehall. Yeah. It was very much in demand and everybody wanted to get it so a lot of uh, apothecaries they would actually display skulls in their window mm-hmm. but like our skull we have here yep um so that the general public knew they were available for sale there um but they could only be really be afforded by the kind of the rich and maybe the nobility mm-hmm. could you imagine a modern doctor displaying a skull in their window what would that say to you uh, bad things <laughs> now what is it inside your skull my brain. Exactly. My tiny, tiny brain. I wouldn't say it's tiny. I'd say that it's growing all the time through your curiosity of a... Child. <laughs> what did we do in episode one? Brain surgery. Yeah. And um, you cut out a bit of my brain, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> she explains the random giggling. <laughs> Could you quickly rinse the pestle and mortar out, please? Because we're going to need it again in a moment. A lot of this old medicine it had the idea of like cures like. And what's meant by that is that if you hurt your head, then you need something from your head to cure it. Uh, If you've got toothache, then you would take a tooth and you'd rub it against um, your tooth and it would help to cure it. Brain was seen as another cure for epilepsy. So what we're going to do now is make up some brain-based medicine, okay? And one of these is brain. So if you can take that, please, and pop it into the pestle and mortar. Open this up. Ooh, brain. Don't do anything yet. Oops. So you put the brain in the pest and mortar. Now, the 1651 book, The Art of Distillation, by physician John French, describes the process of making this medicine as follows. Take the brains of a young man who hath died a violent death. Mash with a stone mortar and steep in wine. So if you can start mashing that, please. Mash, 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 mash. Very good. Mash. So keep mashing that brain. Okay, now if you could add some wine to that, please. Yeah, okay. Okay, that should do. I'll take the bottle from you. Then can you give that a bit more of a mix, please? Okay. And to continue as John French was saying, 
digested half a year in horse dung. So we're going to skip the horse dung bit. Because unfortunately, we don't have time to do that. Um, and then you leave it to distill. Okay, so you ready to try it? Nearly. Oh, that looks yummy. Oh, that looks delicious. Right, so I've got a spoon here. There's a spoon for you there. I'm going to give it a little smell first. Have you ever had human brain before? No. Let's see. A bit chewier than I thought. Mm -hmm. Well, not too bad. That's good. You're going to have some more, are you? Mm. Top stuff. Now, to my knowledge, I've neither died nor did I have a violent death, which is a pity. <laughs> um, because when this happens, the life force... You're right. Unfortunately, I don't have a cure for biting yourself. <laughs> um, yeah, as I say, unfortunately, I'm neither dead nor did I have a violent death. When that happens, it's your life force, kind of your energy, because it's so traumatic at the time, it kind of gets really heightened and invigorated. So um, the kind of energy that's going to come from your brain being eaten is actually enhanced and stronger. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it's more concentrated and it makes the medicine more potent. So you probably want to drink after these things, don't you? Yeah. And what better than urine? Yay! Behind you, you might see a yellow glass. I was right, it was wee wee wee. Let's move our some water out the way, just pop it down there. Wee 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 wee, still warm. Yeah, it's fresh. Vichyzen included several types of urine, both pure and processed in his book. Um, but care should be taken to ensure that you're actually getting the genuine article. Because um, some people would um, say you fake human urine. Which isn't going to have the same effect, is it? No. Now, some of the uses of urine would involve things like keeping the blood in motion. It's like a lubricant. Mm -hmm. Reducing fever. Um, killing parasites. Or dispersing poisons from the body. So maybe it's thought it'd help dilute it. Uh, so it's got a good range of uses, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. However, the princes and wealthy patricians disliked using it because they considered it unhygienic. But, I wonder why. <laughs> but we're not princes, are we? Well, princes of podcasting, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we're going to try some urine. No, we're not princes of podcasting. We're kings of podcasting. Oh, sorry, kings of podcasting. Is it good? <laughs> no? I'm going to try some as well, because it's only fair. Oh yeah, that's disgusting. <laughs> uh. So what's it taste like? Bad stuff. Yeah, it's a bit salty and revolting, isn't it? It's just not very nice. <laughs> that was horrible. Where does your urine come from? Your pee-penis. Yeah, your penis. Your favourite word to say on this podcast. Now, you'll be pleased to know that Lee Shenzhen, he actually said that um, the penis is not a drug. <laughs> you don't worry, we're not going to get out the chopping knife. So you're not so keen on the urine then? No. How about blood? I hope it tastes similar to the mashed up brains, because that was really nice. <laughs> so as you know, blood is a favourite of vampires and could well be their source of eternal life, couldn't it? I need my Italian accent here. Hey. Italiano. Italiano. Do you want to try this one, actually? No. <laughs> no. Okay. Leonardo da Vinci said, so I'm going to channel him now. <sighs> <laughs> we preserve our life with the deaths of others. In a dead thing, and sentient life remains, which, when reunited with the stomachs of the living, regains sensitive and intellectual life. 
Yeah. So he's saying that <laughs> when he has. <laughs> okay, I was waving my arms around. I was just state, uh, just late, just what's that word? Like an Italian man, I wave my arms around. Uh... And then you keep the pizza on the tray, just about. Yeah. Um, and who are we to argue with Leonardo da Vinci when he's saying that um, if you take some of the essence of a dead person or the blood and kind of eat it or drink it, it's going to increase your life. I mean, he, he's much cleverer than we are. Yeah. Now, staying in Italy, what happened in Roman times when gladiators had a fight and maybe got a little bit bloody? What would people like to do? They would like to keep the blood of the gladiators. Yeah, they would collect it, wouldn't they? Mm-hmm. And what would they do with it? Mm, drink it. They'd also collect the sweat, wouldn't they? Yeah. Which I think probably tastes a little bit like the urine we had, so we're going to avoid that. 15th century philosopher Marcillo Ficino uh, recommended drinking the blood from the arm of a young person. Now, Anton, are there any young people around here with arms? No. <laughs> no. Well, hold still. Okay. This won't hurt a bit. No. <laughs> <laughs> right. This wouldn't actually be killing somebody. It would just be... Probably a bit of bloodletting and then drinking their essence, okay? So I wonder if that's maybe where some of these vampire stories came from. Maybe there was a kind of Italian count who lived up high in his castle and he drank the blood Ah! of small children like yourself. (laughs) Now, as recently as 1908 um, in Germany, uh, there was a hanging and some of the crowd had actually tried to collect the blood and swallow it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's still going on up until fairly recent times. And even today, Catholics, they still ritually drink human blood in a way, don't they? Yeah. During a Holy Communion. And you know that they're passed around bread and wine? Mm-hmm. And that symbolises yeah, yeah, the blood and body of Christ. So that yeah. um, transubstantiation um, <laughs> is kind of a representation of still drinking blood, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It seems like this idea of drinking blood got into the head of the physicians that treated Pope Innocent VIII. And in 1492, in a desperate attempt to save him when he was ill, they actually got three young boys and drained them of blood until they were dead. Mm-hmm. And the Pope drank their blood. Yeah. So vampire Pope. Yeah. Do you think he lives up to his name of innocence? No. <laughs> and do you think the blood saved him? No. So the waste of the life of three young children. Now, if you prefer your blood and taste, which I know some people do, um, I've got you covered, okay? Because there's a 1679 recipe that comes from a Franciscan monastery, and they actually would use the blood of corpses to make marmalade. <laughs> so good one for Paddington Bear there. Yep. Now, in some Chinese beliefs, um, it wasn't the blood of a Hong person that was important, but rather their ghost that had the powerful medicinal properties, okay? Mm-hmm. And in the earth below where the body was hung, a charcoal-like substance would manifest itself. And this was called Renpo. Why are you sniggering? <laughs> but it must be collected really quickly before it kind of dissipates into the earth around it. Yeah. Lee gives the use of Renpo ads. <clears throat> Renpo pacifies the heart and tranquilizes the soul and boldness. It treats convulsions, fright, and manic depressive psychosis. Grind Renpo with the water and take it by mouth. <laughs> Okay. Do you bite your nails? No, no. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Honestly? Yeah, 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 honestly. Okay. Taoists believe in something called a sanshi. 
and it's a spirit that haunts a patient, and it can be treated with fingernails. And do you want to know how? Okay. So to kill a sanshi, you must, and to quote, <laughs> cut the fingernails on Genshi days, so that's the 17th, and cut the toenails on Jawu, 31st. Burn the nails into ash on the 16th day and the 7th month of the year. Take the ash by mouth and water. In this way, the sanshi and the nine worms will turn into ash. So by taking your fingernails and burning them, and your toenails and burning them, <laughs> then consuming them, you could kill a ghost that haunted your body. Okay. Now, everything that we've eaten so far, it's been pretty fresh, hasn't it? Yeah. But many things, like wine and some meat and things, it improves with age if you leave it to mature. Mm-hmm. So we're going to do that now, okay? Okay. So how about... Angel- so so we, we'll be tasting it... Um- Next Halloween episode, obviously. No, I've already prepared some stuff. <laughs> okay. And it's been really, really, really difficult to find. So let's move our pest and mortar out the way. Mm-hmm. And I have managed to source an ancient mummy. It's in that box behind you. Heavy. And pop it down next to the microphone. Okay. Now, if you want to put it up, please. <laughs> <laughs> Hinges just falling off there. Yeah, it's such an old box. Now if you, yeah, right, so if you take in. Now this is an ancient mummy all the way from Egypt. Now you don't know how difficult it was to get this. I had to smuggle it out. Because this is actually highly illegal what we're doing here. <laughs> okay. Now we've actually covered this briefly before on our episode about the voice of the mummy. And you want to get eating already, don't you? So yeah. that is a little bit of mummy flesh that you're eating there. Is it nice? Mummy is yummy. <laughs> Let me try some as well. Well, that's good. Straight chewy, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Now, I'm going to try and eat with it in my mouth. <laughs> eat with it in my mouth? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Speak with it in my mouth. Um, so, ancient Egyptian mummies, they would round up and use for all sorts of medicine, okay? And they could cure all manner of ailments, because they were almost like a miracle cure in some ways. Mm-hmm. French king Francis I of France never left home without a dose of mummy medicine with him. Mm-hmm. So that's how important they were. And the use was so widespread that actually for a while the um, words for mummy and drug, they were synonyms for one another. <laughs> but like with these skulls, uh, there'd be lots of fake mummies doing the rounds and uh, maybe people would, uh, they might kill beggars or like, murder people and mm-hmm. mummify them and then round them up to be used as medicine. <laughs> So not even a proper ancient mummy, which is obviously imbued with all this magical powers and energy um, of the ritual procedure it went through after its death. Okay. <laughs> a lot of that probably came thanks to an Italian explorer and archaeologist called Giovanni Bazzoni. And he brought the sarcophagus of Seti, or Seti, Seti, the sarcophagus of Seti back to England, okay? Mm-hmm. And then he built a fake tomb around it the museum and that love and passion of Egyptian things kind of in London the first Mm. Egyptian mania started there and he said they fortunately oh no he's Italian isn't he he was six foot six though fortunately I'm destitute of the sense of smell I could taste that the mummies were rather unpleasant to swallow now I don't actually know if that means he ate the mummies or not or if it was just so smelly but the stuff we've got here is pretty good actually isn't it it's okay. <laughs> Let's pack our mummy away carefully. 
And I've got one more medicine for you. And this is a very, very special one, which started kind of the whole idea for this episode. So just pop the mummy over there, please. <laughs> okay. I'm still chewing this, mummy. Mummy is very chewy. Mm-hmm. You're not so keen on it now? No. Okay, yeah, so our final... <laughs> she... Pay attention, please. <laughs> Come back here. This is very important. Our final human medicine is what's called mellified man. Mm. It's a delicious, sweet treat to finish off our episode with. Okay. Think of it as the dessert of human flesh. Lovely. And it's in one of the packages here. So if you open it up... Uh. Might be a bit gooey. So that, there, is a delicious piece of human flesh. I'm going to tell you how it's made, okay? <laughs> so mellified or honeyed man, again comes from Leisha Hinn's text. Well, he hasn't actually been able to verify if it's true or not. And he left it at the very end. It's the last thing in the I book. I don't think it's true because um, he wouldn't have phones then to text. Leisha Hinn's texts. Yeah, <laughs> you lost me from over there. I mean his book, okay, on medicine. Okay. Um, yeah, and he seems quite sceptical, and he actually asks um, like readers to hopefully do further research and know if it's true or not. <clears throat> yeah. Because he heard a rumour that it was actually an Arabian practice to mummify people with honey. Honey mummification itself has actually been popular um, throughout the world, so it's been... Uh, done in South America and Egypt yeah. and even Alexander the Great, he asked to be embalmed with honey. Mm -hmm. His tomb hasn't been found. So if we go and hunt it down in Macedonia um, and find it, I think we should probably do what we're about to do here and try eating him. Because <laughs> imagine the power he'd have. He's one of the yeah. like amazing men of history. Somebody probably would do that though. <laughs> yes. Maybe he's been eaten already. That's why we can't find him. And his tomb, because it was made out of... Marshmallow. A gingerbread house. <laughs> yeah. Now, Arab scholars, um, as you probably know, they kept fantastic records. They're really good record keepers. And a lot of classical Western knowledge was kind of lost during the Dark Ages or medieval time. And thankfully, thanks to the Arab scholars, it came back into Europe. That's a good one. Yeah. And the fact that there's no accounts that come from Arabia casts some doubt on the validity of this story, so maybe his scepticism is correctly placed. But that won't stop us, will it? No! So, you've opened up our mellified man already, and if you put it onto the chopping board, please. You can touch it with your fingers, it's only a bit of flesh. Have you seen Uncle Steve recently? You can wipe your fingers if you want in the water there. I want. Now, to create a mellified man, a body had to come from an elderly volunteer, usually an age 70 to 80 years old, they said. And they still had to be alive at the time. So when I say a body, they actually needed a living 70 or 80 year old. <laughs> <laughs> because the idea of the self-sacrifice was an important part of the process. Yeah. Because they had to be willing to be um, involved with this. And what would happen is they would only eat honey. They'd have nothing else. It's the only thing they would consume. Mm -hmm. And they would probably survive on that diet for a couple of weeks. Yeah. And then they'd die. Yeah. Towards the end of their life, they would actually start sweating honey and pooing honey and weeing honey. Nice. Okay? They were just honey all throughout them. And after they were dead, they would be put in a stainless sarcophagus. 
Yeah. And what do you think that was full of? Honey. Yeah, exactly. Even more honey. And on the top of it, a date was written down and they were left for how long, do you think? 100 years. Yes, 100 years to really kind of get that honey essence all the way through them. Mm-hmm. Because you know honey itself, it doesn't really rot, does it? No. So it's got really low water content and it's totally antibacterial. Um, so it can stay preserved for a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. So you, there's been Egyptian tombs opened up where there'd be pots of honey there and yeah. they will still be fresh after thousands of years. So people could eat ancient honey. Yeah. Yes, yeah, a lot of money. Mm-hmm. The book Chu Geng Lu by Tao Jiuxian says, After 100 years, the body became a kind of honey-preserved thing that was used as a drug. When someone was suffering from an injury to his body, including bone fractures, a little of the honey man could be taken as a drug. It worked right away. Even in that country, this something was very precious. It was called Honey Man. So this mollified man that I've made for you here, do you want to just chop it in half, please? It is known to... <laughs> That's not how you cut. Right. It was believed that this could cure any ailment or problem instantly, including a broken bone. Do you want me to cut it? Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to cut through here. It's a little bit tough. Now, if you take some of this... Oh, it's good. That's the best thing we've had all day, so have a little bit. So what do you think of Mellified Man? Um, it's okay. I'm getting a hint of pig. Long pig. Long pig, exactly. It's in Papua New Guinea, probably our second favourite island. That's what they call people, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That's our last Halloween treat mm. for the day. So what do you think? Not sure? Are you feeling more energised and have all your aches and pains gone? No. <laughs> no. I think you've done very well trying all of these foods because this is all genuine. Today we don't really use human medicine, do we? No. But in a way, we kind of still keep it going through organ transplants, don't we? Mm-hmm. Where you might have somebody else's heart from a obviously a dead person, you've got their heart, somebody's lung or their kidneys. Yeah. Or even blood transfusions. I mean, how far away really is that from Pope Innocent VIII drinking those children's blood? <laughs> I think the process of finding the blood is very different, but the attempt at an outcome is still quite similar, isn't it? And it's only with advancements in medical knowledge that we've um, kind of understood actually how to properly do it. Mm Mm-hmm. So do you think you'll be taking human medicine again, or are you going to go for more up-to-date medicine? I think I'm going to take real medicine. Real? What do you mean? This is real medicine. Real medicine of the now. Because you've done so well. I've got, you can have a heart or a bone... A skull. I think there might even be a brain in there. I'm going to take a brain because I liked that. <laughs> I'm going to take this green pill. Mmm. Right. That was bogey. It was a bogey. We've done bogeys before. And petrified bogey. A bogey's good for you or bad for you? Good. Mm-hmm. It's petrified so it's scared it's going to eat it. <gasps> Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed our rather macabre Halloween special. Have you enjoyed it, Anton? <coughs> This medicine isn't helping. Are you there? You're a doctor. Yeah, I have enjoyed it. Good, so please follow us on Twitter at... The Curie Child Pod. Not the Curie Child Child Pod. Yeah. Um, Visit our website. (laughs) At the curiosity of a child. (laughs) 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 Thecuriosityofachild.com Oh, and of course, 
rate and review us. And just before we go, we've got a new review. So shall I read it out? Okay. So this review comes from iTunes. And thank you very much to Luke underscore I underscore am underscore our underscore father. And he says, five stars. Well, he doesn't say five stars. He rates us five stars. And he says, great wholesome effort. This is a fun podcast. Each episode is getting better over time. You can tell they're getting the hang of it. I don't know if that's going to apply to this one in the kitchen. As a father, it gives me inspiration to feed my young children. (laughs) 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 To feed my young children with all the wild and wacky facts of the world and fuel their imagination. It's not just for kids. Give it a listen. I swear you'll learn lots you didn't know. Think you, I, but done by a father and son. Yay! I think that's nice, isn't it? So thank you very much, Luke. If we had t-shirts or merchandise, I'd send you one, but we don't. Okay. And yeah, so I've got some ideas for the next episode. I'm going to see if I can line up another special thing. Okay. And uh, to our listeners, thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed it. And we'll talk to you again soon. Hopefully. Before I haven't died of the medicine. It's, it's going to save you. This is the finest medicine of history. Anyway, goodbye. Goodbye.